new report from the Center for Immigration Studies is eye-opening, and it puts the crisis at the southern border in perspective. Executive Director Mark Gregorian has that story. And then Senator Zach Nunn and Ilana Friedman on the Ukrainian pushback against Russia and the state of Vladimir Putin's mind. And the fact that, well, there's no safety data behind the US FDA's approval of a fourth injection for Americans should get everyone's attention. Dr. James Lyons-Weiler joins me for that story. On a special treat near the end of today's program, musician Jerry Mayer will share his talent and talk about the inspiration behind this powerful song, Pandemic at My Door, My Humble Prayer. All that's coming up next, friends, on Viewpoint this Sunday. the lies and deceit and bring forth real talk from real people about real news providing the out loud truth and capturing the essence of a new generation all in a fast-paced hour this is viewpoint this sunday welcome to the weekend news magazine viewpoint this sunday this is malcolm out loud here There's basically no media attention on this, and the global distractions are preventing uh, Americans from seeing and understanding uh, the danger of this very first story here. Well, let's start off here, bring on Mark Gregorian is here. He uh, serves as the uh, executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. Um, Since 1995, he's been doing that. CIS is an independent, nonpartisan research organization in Washington, D.C. They are the go-to source on anything immigration uh, in the country, to be sure. Okay, so Mark, this, uh, you know, it's hard to wrap your mind truly around these numbers here, but this new report, which uh, surely you were all over here, the estimates of the numbers, January 2022, the illegal immigration population uh, stands at 11.4 million. It's a 1.1 million increase over January 2021 when uh, Biden took office and this border uh, fiasco, uh, chaos uh, began, really. Uh, so let's pick it up there. These numbers are eye-opening. I don't think people really understand the gravity of these numbers. How do you explain this? Well, uh, the fact is the illegal population did go down during COVID. Fewer people were coming, and there's always people leaving the illegal population anyway, either going home, some of them finagle a green card, some small number die. So the numbers go down, and there weren't just weren't as many new illegal immigrants coming in. And so what happened, seems to have happened, is that in 2021, things started up again. And there's no surprise, that's when President Biden took over at the toward the beginning of 2021. And uh, we estimate more than a million, that the illegal population grew by more than a million. Now that means more than that came in, because like I said, there's always some people who leave, but the total illegal population grew by over a million people over the past year, and quite frankly, This year looks uh, like it's going to grow even more 
if the president's ridiculous policies at the border continue. Is there any reason to believe that they won't continue? No, there isn't. <laughs> it looks like uh, it looks like it's actually going to get worse. Um, the president has said that they're going to be lifting this uh, holdover Trump policy. They kept this one halfway in place uh, that allows the Border Patrol to just bounce people out of the country without hearings or anything because of COVID. Well, they're going to end that toward the end of May. And there's already tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people in Mexico just kind of tapping their fingers, waiting for that to end so they can come across the border and say the magic words about asylum that they're coached to say by American uh, anti-borders activists and the smugglers, whether they're working together or separately, they still coach them in the same way. And then, then what the administration is going to do, it's going to let them go too. So doesn't that mean they're double, doubling down on chaos? I mean, isn't, that's, that's insane. It's, it is indeed insane. And a lot of the, there are some Democrats who are uh, starting to get a little anxious about this, as you can imagine. But I think the administration does have a plan. The plan is not to stop this flow of people. Um, they have issued a rule on changing the way asylum works that will go into effect around the same time as this border policy will end. And what that, po what that asylum policy would do would be make it way easier and way quicker to get asylum for many, many more people. So what that means is their, go their goal when this new surge on top of the existing surge takes place is to kind of launder the status of the illegal aliens, just sort of turn them into legal, let them go. And then they're going to say, well, what are you complaining about? They're not illegal aliens anymore. They have asylum. So stop complaining, hater. Um, I don't think it's going to work, but that, I'm pretty sure that seems to be what they intend to do. That's their plan is to process people quicker and more efficiently from their point of view, not keep people from sneaking into the United States. The difference between uh, these uh, numbers, when we talk about, and let's, let me just clear this up for listeners, we talk about apprehensions at the border versus migrants now living in the USA, because these are two different kinds of numbers. Right. And when we, you're right. So when we talk about the numbers we have now, explain this uh, to folks wh where this fits into this, these numbers here. Sure. During the first year of the uh, Biden administration. So actually, if you're looking like from February through January of you know this year, mm -hmm. um, there were about two million arrests of illegal aliens at the border. Now, a lot of people misunderstand that and think, oh, oh uh, Biden let in two million people. Uh, some of those people are the same people getting arrested several times. Some of those people who were arrested were sent back and didn't try it again. But what that that's why the other number that we had talked about at the beginning about how many total illegals are actually here at any one time probably is tells you a little more about what the situation is. But but of those two million people who were arrested and again, some of them were arrested, the same people arrested a couple of times. I'm guesstimating, because the government won't say, that something like 700,000 of them in one year were let go into the United States in one way or another. There's various ways they could do that. That's 
when you think about it, regular legal immigration is about 1.1 million a year. It changes every year. Last year was lower because of COVID. But that's, you know, getting close to what Congress set as the official number of people allowed into the United States, uh, you know, uh, 700,000 people on top of that. And those people aren't leaving. So the question is, do the legal immigration rules about the limits, you know, so many people in this category and so many people in that category, what does that stuff even mean anymore? If the president can just let people in and let them go, and in a lot of cases, just give them work permits, well, who needs Congress? He can just have his own immigration policy that nobody voted for. And he does, uh, basically, um, uh, as he's done all these policies and executive orders. And and that's the problem we really have in this country is our president is really becoming a king. uh, And these uh, branches of government are no longer operating the way the framers um, uh, discovered this experiment, uh, which is uh, surely collapsing at the moment here. Uh, these numbers now, uh, let me make sure and understand, I mean, as I open in as all this is, and as you explain it right there, do I understand properly here that the, the last, the reason this is like, wow, the last set of numbers that really everybody was really looking at that were published, was that back in 2018? This is right. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. I mean, there's, there are other people who've estimated the illegal population, the government and a couple other think tanks. Okay. And there's nothing more recent than 2018. That's right. why we did this, because we wanted something up to date. Uh, the, uh, at the center, the, the director of research um, that you have there, uh, Dr. Uh, Stephen uh, Camerata, is it? Right. Yes. Okay. All right. Very interesting. Looks like quite a gentleman here. This, uh, so he, he's been uh, on the front lines of a lot of this stuff in this report. He says, absent a change in policy, it seems certain the illegal immigration population will continue to grow rapidly. Now, we just talked about a moment ago, and I asked you just up front here, do we see anything happening here? So it appears, Mark, there's going to be no change in policy that we can see. In fact, the opposite is happening. Uh, he and they, he and his handlers, I have to say, they're doubling down, which is going to make those numbers even go higher. So let's, a couple of thoughts here. What will, in your opinion, uh, sincerely now, what will we look like at the end of the, and this trajectory is not going to change. We, we've already established that. So what do we look like at the end of the Biden term by 2024? Yeah, it's uh, not encouraging, quite frankly. I mean, uh, there's a lot of people who are concerned about this who are, you know, sort of, uh, as the young people say, black-pilled. In other words, they're like, well, it's all over. Throw up your hands. America's finished. I don't think it's that bad, but it is going to be pretty bad just to give some sense of what we're looking at the numbers. And then I'll have a little bit of the optimistic part after that. But um, Obama's Homeland Security Secretary, Jay Johnson, Mm -hmm. said that if you get more than a thousand arrests of illegal immigrants in one day along the Mexican border, that starts to overwhelm the system. 1,000, remember that, that was 1,000. More than that, it starts to get really a problem. Over the past like six or seven months before this month, we were averaging something like 5,000 a day of arrests at the border. This month, what I'm hearing, it's something more like seven or 8,000 a day. And when this border public health rule or order uh, is lifted at the end of May, Homeland Security is bracing for, they've said this, they're preparing for as many as 18,000 a day 
of uh, illegal immigrant arrests at the border. 18 times what Obama's own guy said is starts to become a crisis and overwhelm the system. I don't think it's going to be that bad. I mean, I don't know. They got to do contingency planning for the worst case scenario. But if it's half that, mm-hmm. it's terrible. Yeah. Um, and if that continues indefinitely, then, you know, we don't have a country anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't exaggerate like that. But but and this is the glass half full part. There is an election in November. Mm-hmm. And when you add this uh, disintegration of the border to inflation and the president's, you know, incompetence in Afghanistan and uh, gas prices, all the rest of that stuff, the, um, the, 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 in a sense, the optimistic side is the Democrats will, and I think have to get annihilated at the polls uh, and lose both the Senate and the House. They're going to lose the House anyway. That, that cake is baked. But if they lose the Senate as well, then Republicans, they can't really make the president do the right thing, but they have control of the power of the purse Mm -hmm. and they can at least try to rein in the excesses of this administration for two years until we get a new administration. So it's going to be bad, but it's not, uh, you know, a uh, gunshot to the head end of the country. It's more like chopping off some fingers, which is bad enough, but I think we can recover if voters respond vigorously. Right. Well, and you say it well there, Mark, but and actually that argument can be made in about every policy and arena that's impacting sure. our country. Uh, and as, as Americans, as patriots, and you're right, we, we tend to, we try to be optimistic. Surely I am as well, uh, because we love our country and, and love uh, this life uh, that we, we've been blessed with. But uh uh, surely um, we're being challenged beyond any measure right now. Uh, this country is at a wicked turning point. It, 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 for those who turn off this thing and, you know, people, first of all, they're pushing these uh, migrants all over the country. Let, to be clear to everybody, if you live in Dakota or Iowa or uh, New York or you think you're safe, you're out of your mind. To be clear, we've reported on this plenty and, and surely with Mark and, and others that, uh, the, you know, that's been another big story. They're pushing these out throughout the, over the night, the remote airports, I mean, all kinds of shenanigans are happening. So nobody is uh, immune to this thing. What kind of real world impact? You know, we talk about the average American family. We talk about the economic problems right now and the inflation and the fuel and all the things that people are struggling with that potentially will get worse before they get better. And there's a lot of bad stories coming, including food shortages and other things that uh, supply chain issues that are pretty massive in size. This just puts more frosted on that horrible cake right there. What are we talking about? What's what's your gut? The average American family, there's a real world impact of all this. Absolutely. Um, the, the fact is that they are going all over the country, but most of them are going where there's already lots of immigrants. So while some of them will be moving to, you know, North Dakota, almost certainly the bulk of them are going to be going to big cities where there's already a lot of immigrants. Usually they're relative people are related to people from their home countries, that kind of thing. Well, what that means is it's going to be that much harder. The housing prices are going to be more in places like that. Uh, schools are going to be uh, have lots of kids because a lot of these are uh, migrants bringing kids with them. And the kid is kind of a golden ticket to be let go. So there are schools, depending on the district and everything, that are going to be hammered hard. Um, And look, this loosens the labor market. 
um, employers are, you know, having to kind of hustle to get people to work for yeah. them. Yeah. Not because we don't have a lot of workers, but because people, you know, after COVID are like, well, I don't want to go back to that crummy job I had. I wanted, you know, I wanted to get paid yeah. more or have. And so this way, employers can say, yeah, OK, well, to heck with you. I'm just going to hire these guys. Yeah, so you, you, can... you would agree that this makes it harder for every American. I mean, this, this is this, absolutely. This, yeah, this is a I mean, wow. I mean, this is just self-induced and it's going to cripple. If you think it's tough already, this is going to be even more difficult. You know, um, yeah, yeah, just about out of time here. But I got to ask you here, what's the biggest I mean, listen, this force is going to have to be shut off at some point. And as you say, the midterm is not exactly going to do that because there'll be a lot of games still being played. Uh, a new administration in 2024, they're going to have to curb this crisis. And the damage that's already been done is something I'll talk to you about in the future on that, because, uh, you know, you get in all kinds of crises. This uh, trouble is very troubling. What's the biggest one point that the new administration is going to have to do? The biggest thing, and this is a kind of long term, but it's a very basic thing that's going to matter, is not plugging a lot of these loopholes that are important. Biggest thing is They've got to get rid of asylum law. Asylum is the weakness. And the first thing they got to do, and this is something only the president could do, is withdraw from the UN treaties that tie our hands in dealing with this re asylum and refugee issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Marcus, folks are listening to this uh, Sunday morning here in Viewpoint this Sunday. As I understand it, you're headed to the border later today, is it, I believe? Yes, later today, this evening, I'm flying down to the South Texas border, all the way down sort of the southernmost point of Texas. McAllen is the city. And uh, a couple of us are going to be uh, checking out, you know, the uh, border fence. And we're going to be talking with some local folks down there and maybe seeing a uh, test of the SpaceX facility because their launch, uh, their one of their launch sites is down there. And um, there's supposed to be a launch either tomorrow or the next day. Okay. Listen, we really appreciate you. And I know you and the team there uh, at the CIS are on the front lines at the Center for Immigration Studies. Uh, CIS.org. Uh, need to give that site out. There's a wealth of information there. I mean, for sure. And just great expertise and great voices and people. And uh, Mark, thank you. Really appreciate you joining me on Viewpoint this Sunday. Thanks for having me. Well, that's Mark Gregorian from Center for Immigration Studies. And uh, boy, that's a wake up call or cold water on your face uh, as you're listening to Viewpoint here for sure. And that's why I put that story front and center for you to understand the gravity of what's taking place here. All right. So this is incredible because you've heard me talk about it. You've heard Dr. McCullough talk about it, the povidine iodine and the nasal oral wash for your nose. This was the biggest prevention, uh, really, uh, treatment that you could have done to help yourself. In fact, I'll say this to you, and, and this is my opinion. Had the federal government released this information early on in the pandemic, uh, well, my fellow Americans and to our friends around the globe, we would have saved countless people. Countless people would have lived, no doubt about it because those viruses and the SARS-CoV-2 stayed in the nose and then gets into your respiratory tract. And then guess what? It's into your lungs and then deep into the lungs. And then that's the, that's the bioweapon part of this thing. And a lot of people succumb to that, sadly. Uh, the thing is, we, we've got to get into a new habit as, as people here. And I, I've learned so much about this. You have to clean your nose, just like you wash your hands. This is really, really vital because that's the vast majority. Now, the healthcare system doesn't want you to know this, by the way, and I don't say that to be smug. It's just a fact, because this will save incredible healthcare costs and do all kinds of things. We just clean our noses, okay?
So Covix Rx, it's a nasal oral wash is what it is. It's got the povidine iodine already mixed in there. And a lot of people, there's a whole recipe to this, which Dr. McCullough had a post up and it's the most shared post ever on America Out Loud. It's on the front page on the left side under COVID resources on povidine iodine. This uh, Covix Rx takes all that guessing away. It's got all the ingredients in there to make an incredible difference and to wash that nose. And anytime you're feeling something, you know, you sometimes get a little sick, you want to use this. I mean, really, this is the way to go. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, listeners are going to love this. All our listeners get 20% off. That's the deal. Uh, and uh, that all that information is at cofixrx.com forward slash out loud. Um, this is clearly something you want to check out. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind. Now, up next on Viewpoint here, uh, Senator Zach Nunn and Alana Friedman uh, will be here and we'll take on the Ukraine, Russia, a lot of Viewpoint just ahead here, friends. Stay right there, more Viewpoint in just a minute. We are the vision of the voices. You can email us at talk at americaoutloud.com. You've been in that situation. The person next to you is sniffling or worse yet, <coughs> coughing. Flu, cold, and SARS-CoV-2 are everywhere. Would you like an additional layer of protection to reduce these threats with an invisible mask? Sold by hundreds of pharmacists and medical doctors, our American-made povidone iodine antiviral nasal spray, Cofix RX, lasts for hours deactivating viruses and germs that make us sick. Find a retailer near you or buy online at cofixrx.com. America Out Loud listeners use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX. Each of us is born with 30 trillion cells that make us. These cells determine how we feel, perform, sleep, focus, and how long we live. And to live our best life, all we have to do is feed our cells. But most food and supplements don't reach our cells, keeping us from reaching our full potential. Make every cell count with Healthy Cell. Founded with a mission to empower people to take control of their own health at the most fundamental level, Dr. Vincent Jampapa, world-renowned cell researcher and medical doctor, created supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. And that's HealthyCell.com. H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. I am sure that you're about tired already as I am about the Ukraine-Russia story because, again, the media across the board, they just they just pummel your brain is what they do with one story, just like they did COVID, actually, in the vaccine thing. It's about everything they do that way. Let's dive into that next year, please, with uh, Senator Zach Nunn joins us again. Always delighted to have him here. He serves in the Iowa legislature uh, and has now run for U.S. Congress in Iowa's third congressional district. Uh, and uh, ZachNunn.com, by the way, I'll get more into that later. But uh, he's a retired lieutenant colonel as well, the U.S. Air Force been deployed uh, several times to Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and uh, he recently, interesting point, commanded a squadron tasked with airborne reconnaissance operations against Russia, uh, which was very interesting with some of the interactions they had with Russian fighter jets. And also, the uh, he had a delegation, the U.S. aid to uh, East Ukraine uh, to oversee uh, the elections back when that happened. Uh, despite the problems with the Russian separatists. So it's a history uh, and a footprint in the stories here. 
And our very own Ilana Friedman is uh, delighted to have her on here. She's a veteran intelligence analyst and always has her fingers on the pulse of what's taking place. Uh, I want to start right there with you, Ilana. Uh, so let's talk about, you and I have been chatting in past days here about the fragility or the state of mind, and we surely have been covering it on Vladimir Putin, and you have an op-ed on AmericaOutloud.com, the uh, fragile state of Putin's mind is costing Russian lives. Please give us all, give listeners a sense, because we hear a lot of talk and what have you, but what are your intelligence circles saying really truly is the state of his mind? The word is that Putin is becoming increasingly delusional and paranoid, that he has locked himself away in a secret bunker somewhere, my guess is with a lot of luxury around him because that's what he likes, but also with Chechen bodyguards uh, who are very protective of him and that he has shut himself off from his uh, senior military staff. In fact, he has put, according to our best intelligence, he has put nine of, of the senior generals in the, in the Russian military um, under house arrest. So they can't even get to him. Um, and the, the, the rumor is, and I have this in the article, is that he is sitting alone in his bunker mumbling to himself and having uh, deep conversations with Peter the Great and Ivan the Terrible. Um, that sounds a little bizarre, but maybe it is because what he's doing in Ukraine is certainly so far above and beyond anything that was, was called for. This was an unprovoked attack. And the destruction that he's carrying out under his orders are, is just horrendous. Uh, Senator Nunn, uh, what is the I, the last count I had on generals? I think it was uh, uh, somewhere seven or eight. Uh, I could even be harder than that now. I don't know. But uh, they've a lot of these generals have been killed on the battlefield, um, the Russian generals, not to mention what Ilana just speaks about there. It does leave uh, a bit of a surrealness to his um immediate environment, uh, Vladimir Putin. You hearing anything about that, Senator Don? Yeah, Malcolm, excellent point here. You know, Russia inherited this Soviet model of uh, centralized command, centralized execution, which puts their senior leadership right at the front line, really, with the conscripts. And so as a result of that, the Ukrainians have smartly started targeting these generals, much like the, uh, the Minutemen of the American Revolution targeting officers being able to decapitate senior Russian leadership from frontline forces has clearly made an effective impact on their inability to carry out operations. Uh, we also have seen this now in the um, retreat, if you will, as Russians are pulling back, they are still losing at a very high level, senior level officers from Lieutenant Colonel Colonel to general command staff. And that is making their route even less effective. Um, as we saw just North of, Kiev this past uh, few days, the Ukrainians have been able to bring back several dozen cities and suburbs into the Ukrainian sphere while still firing and launching attacks at retreating Russians, even taking out supply lines inside Russia. Uh, you know, this is an indication, one, that the Russians did not have an effective game plan for seizing Kiev, but they've gotten even less effective retreat game plan uh, going forward. Yeah. But I will say there's a counter here. You know, in the north, near the capital, the Ukrainians have been very effective. In Kharkiv and Mariupol in the east, things continue to be very, very dangerous. And uh, it's, it's difficult to know which way things could go.
You know, I'm thinking here a moment, um, the pushback that's happening, as you just outlined, with some of these suburban areas and other cities around Kiev. Uh, all right. I am seeing exactly what you just said. There is pushback happening now where Ukraine is having some success again. I'm wondering, in, you know, as a military guy yourself, strategically, when you look at that, now, there's been a lot of talk on the side over here with Putin and chemical weapons and a, a tactical a nuclear strike as well in Ukraine. And, uh, you know, I mean, you think about the situation right now, and I'm just wondering, uh, Senator Nunn, if, if, you know, I'm wondering the more success or any success for that matter that Ukraine is having and Putin doesn't get quite his way, you know, we opened this up with about the state of his mind. I mean, doesn't that put this more in um, a, a more delicate situation now? Uh, and the more it comes under stress, I'm, I'm wondering, does he really, with these generals, and with the, does he pull the lever somewhere and hit with a chemical attack or a tactical nuclear strike to Ukraine? What do you think of that? Yeah, I think Alana highlighted very uh, acutely the fragility of not only the Russian mindset here in Putin, but also the ego that is getting just pummeled. And when the Russian bear is wounded, it is probably at its most dangerous because now exactly. we have a situation where he attempts to have some kind of, you know, face saving mechanism and not just against Ukraine or the West, but inherently he's going to have to play to a domestic audience here. And he's not worried about the daily Russian on the street. He is worried about a command structure inside Russia. And we've seen this from the days of the Politburo to the days of Yeltsin, to even in how he came to power here, is that once a viewpoint consolidates within the Russian senior leadership, that he is either no longer effective or is the liability, um, how does he maintain a strength of character? And that only comes with a... Uh, decisive military response in Russia, in my opinion. And so we absolutely should be looking at the fear of a tactical nuclear response or a um, just a bloodbath in eastern Ukraine as a way to say, hey, I've achieved my targeted objective of liberating the uh, eastern region of Ukraine, which could amount to basically just shelling that area into complete obliteration. Has the West effectively given Vladimir, in, in your opinion, Putin an, an off-ramp? Have we given him an off-ramp? Yes or no? No. And, and I think that's dangerous. I think we have put the Russian bear in a corner where it doesn't have the ability for anyone, Russian senior leadership, Putin, to have any type of a face-saving measure. And that is a dangerous situation when you have a nuclear power. Yeah, so yeah. there needs to be a consolidated conversation around what does the future for Russia look like in the world? And is there a pathway for them to successfully reintegrate while still supporting our allies in Ukraine? Yeah, thank you for that. I, I didn't know what you were going to say to it, but but thank you for speaking your truth there. I have a, a sneaking suspicion uh, we're doing exactly that. We've got the Russian beer in a place we we really don't want to have here. Uh, you know, Ilana, your, your thoughts to that point. Uh, I've had this sense all along that we're not being sensible and we have I don't see an off ramp right now. And the fact of the, the, the big ego and but even more than that. Uh, looking historically at Russia, I mean, they're not going to whimper away. Uh, this thing, how it ends is still anybody's guess. But I think this is the real problem right now. I don't think our Western leaders have properly looked at this thing. And now the fallout around the globe, uh, economically, too, and food and wheat and all of this stuff is going to be massive. What do you say to that, Alana? You agree? Well, I, th I think I, I like the image of the Russian bear in the corner. I, I When you 
when you trap a, a wild, vicious animal in, in a corner, mm-hmm. you, there's only one thing you can expect, and that's an attack. Uh, And I think that's what we're looking at. American intelligence miscalculated this situation from the very beginning. They didn't had they had no no knowledge or no understanding of what Putin was doing when he uh, when he got his troops into Belarus. And they we started seeing them in huge numbers. And they kept and and Biden kept saying, "Oh no, they're they're not going to come in. They're, this is just you know whatever it is they say it is. It's maneuvers. It's training." And but it, the the reality is that they didn't they didn't anticipate that correctly. Their policy has been wrong from the beginning. Um, we didn't until they they not we but we, they uh, meaning the American administration Biden administration didn't account for the determination or, and the grit of the Ukrainian people to fight back once the war began. Well, nobody did. Nobody did. You know. I well, mean, that's not true because I wrote about that. Um, the, <laughs> You'll take credit yeah, for it. You'll be the I only one then. <laughs> yeah, I I wrote it at the very beginning of the war that All we right. have seen this in history. Okay. All right. uh, going way back into biblical times and then coming back okay. out into, All right. uh, into our own life. Well, I stand to be corrected. I love that. I love your response to that. So I'll take that. I'll take that. Uh, really. Okay. All right. Yeah. So no, it's good. Uh, so Senator Nunn, you know, back from historically looking over the past multiple administrations, uh, peace through strength has always been uh, really the best uh, American trademark uh, for success. Uh, when we cower or show our hand in any other way, we pay a big cost for that. But there's no peace through strength happening here. They've already shown their hand to Russia. That's a problem, isn't it? Yeah, ab- absolutely, Malcolm. And here's where I would offer to the Biden administration writ large is that this has got to be focused first on America. What are we going to do in a situation where we don't have energy independence? Even today, we're still dependent on foreign oil. We're not going to be able to cut off Russia, the Biden administration is saying, until the middle of summer, really. But equally, what about the giant um, food insecurity problem that is going to happen? When the Russians rolled into Ukraine, they attacked military targets first, but quickly followed it up with an attack on the largest fertilizer plants in Europe. And those happen to be in Ukraine. And that immediately impacts in my home state of Iowa. But the entire U.S. should be thinking about this. A giant situation of lack of affordable fertilizer for Europe that will have a ripple on effect to the United States, driving up food prices around the world. And I'm not just talking about in Ukraine or Russia or in the Arab states, which are very, very dependent on Ukrainian fertilizer. This will now come home to roost in my small town communities right here in Iowa. They're going to see food increase when we have inflation at a 40 percent or 40 year high and gas prices already spiraling out of control. Ilana, speak about this first here. Uh, Biden's posturing with global leaders uh, to me now is the biggest indication in how he and his handlers uh, perceive the United States role in the world and what the future in their world, at least, looks like for the United States. If you look at the way he's interacted and we're kind of sitting in the back seat. I'm not even sure if we have a seatbelt on. Uh, Ilana, what's this This kind of, to me, reflects the global reposition in the Biden uh, cabal's uh, world. What do you say to that? I think you're right. I think that Biden and his cabal have 
completely abdicated uh, America's role as a leader in the world. And it seems to me that their, uh, their policy has been to keep Putin placated and play it safe by promising mil military aid to Ukraine and then slow walking the delivery. In everything they're doing, they are taking a, a backseat to to events, not even to another country, just to the events as they play out. They're not they're not doing any long range planning. I guess the long range planning is what's for lunch tomorrow. And and that that is something that is putting America in great danger yeah, yes, and yes. putting the world in great danger. And, and Senator, and on to that point, I mean, it seems to me they're only reacting when they have to react. So there's nothing there's no motion moving forward. It's all sort of a reaction, everything, because the pressure gets too high. Final thought about this global repositioning. The Biden administration is playing a cautious defense, which is getting them nowhere because they're being, you know, outmaneuvered at every level. Here, here's my view, Malcolm. We are going to have a failed state in Russia where it is going to be as dangerous as a North Korea, but with our already having nuclear weapons. We are going to have an emboldened China who saw the United States inability to effectively deploy uh, diplomacy ahead of time through uh, embargoes and tariffs feel that it has now the ability to push the United States in a way where the U.S. is only going to act in defense. And that is a very dangerous position to be in. We're going to have a Middle East that's going to continue to feel isolated and left behind, allowing extreme despots to be the ones who call the shots, whether it's in Tehran or in Damascus. And we only have Israel on the front line here. And most importantly, we have left ourselves vulnerable to a giant exodus of immigration albeit largely forced, which has got to find a home. Yeah. And increasingly, if there is no security on the southern border, that will come to roost on our doorstep, whether it be good or bad. And wow. so the lack of leadership is going to put us in a position where not only are we in defense, but we are inheriting everyone else's problems and we have no plan in how to best address it. I mean, what a, what a powerful segment here. I got to tell you, um, uh, Ilana Friedman, thank you. Senator Zach Nunn, thank you, sir. Thank, thank you, you welcome. We'll take a pause now, but listen, up next, uh, uh, May's a new gentleman. Really excited to bring him to the platform here. He'll be writing for America Out Loud, and he'll be a new host on a show I'll be telling you about uh, a little bit after here, but incredible voice here and talent coming up here, uh, Dr. James Lyons-Weiler. Uh, we'll take a pause, and we'll see you just on the other side. You're listening to Viewpoint this Sunday. America Out Loud talk radio app is on Android or Apple. It's the perfect way to listen in to the new generation of talk shows and hosts who are ready to inform and inspire. In today's world, there's no escaping the headlines filled with warnings about emerging viruses and dangerous superbugs. Genesis is the only technology that safely and effectively obliterates harmful pathogens both on the air and on surfaces. Genesis plus HOCL neutralize these threats to your environment in just seconds. Find out more about this amazing technology at genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a 15% discount. With Genesis, you'll be prepared for what's next. Let the silent voices be heard. It was the rallying call that started it all. It's a wide spectrum of programming. From world and political news to societal and cultural stories, six amazing years of news blogs, informative podcasts, and great talk radio. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Dr. J. 
James Lyons Weiler is here. He's a biomedical research scientist uh, uh, dedicated to reducing human pain and suffering uh, through knowledge, of course, right? Uh, he conducts research in the public interest via the Institute for Pure and Applied Knowledge. No safety data behind US FDA's approval of a fourth injection for COVID-19. And that is on the front page of America Out Loud as you listen to Viewpoint this Sunday here. Dr. James Lyons-Weiler, it is a pleasure to welcome you to America Out Loud, sir. Welcome. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. So let's dive into a few of these uh, shocking facts, as you call them, about the study. I really want to circle this now and give folks a sense. Now, here we are. Uh, the first point on this here, that it was not peer-reviewed. It was published on an NIH preprint server, something called Research Square. What should that mean to folks, please? Well, we should expect the FDA, among other things, to hold the science that they use to approve of vaccines, emergency use of vaccines, and the boosters to vaccines to the highest standards of scientific evidence. And somehow... Uh, in COVID, a new culture in public health has emerged by which regulatory decisions by the FDA and CDC and others uh, are made on something as whimsical as a press release from, say, Moderna or from Pfizer. So the, the pattern of the new history of, of public publicizing results from studies uh, with press releases is only marginally better uh, if you publish a preprint on a preprint server if it's not peer review. Peer review allows the scientific community to have an independent look at the science by which public health decisions and policies are made. And for the NIH to publish this without peer review and the FDA to move on it without peer review is, is woefully egregious. What do you think is driving this new culture? You just used the words, and uh, uh, I like the way you phrased that, actually, but you called it a new culture. What's driving it, do you think? Well, if you take a good close look under the hood of the studies that are done on COVID-19 vaccines, you'll find that they're fundamentally flawed. And so in order to progress at uh, a rapid speed before anyone can protest uh, the agencies and those involved, um, the pharmaceutical companies that run our regulatory agencies actually have decided to use this preprint server model or, you know, worse, as I mentioned, the press releases uh, so that they can formulate the policy. You know, it's, it's harder to undo a policy decision once it's made than it, than it is to fight it every step of the way and make sure that mm. it's based on science. Mm, that is a very big point, what you say there, and that seems to be the way this, uh, all of these decisions have been going. Uh, one of the other shocking uh, facts about this is that it was not a small study. Uh, and you say here, it was an itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny study. Uh, we're talking 154 patients. It lasted about 40 days. That is, I mean, remarkable or unremarkable, I guess, uh, I mean, you, you don't, you never hear of something like that. I mean, that doesn't even count, does it? Right. So the overall number of patients that were in, quote unquote included in the study was much larger. However, at the end of the day, they decided to analyze the data 
before they have the full data set. And this is par for the course as well. It's called interim analysis. And it is supposed to be speculative. It is supposed to be something that's done cautiously with great amounts of oversight. And the results are typically not allowed to be made public. And we've seen this before. We saw molnupiravir, a drug that was approved for COVID-19 treatment. Uh, it was approved for emergency use on the basis of an interim analysis. Uh, the interim analysis is conducted before the study is completed. And of course, once the drug's approved or the vaccine booster is approved, the, uh, there's no incentive to finish the study. So we may or may not see the end result of the study. Yeah. And of course, the problem with all of this, uh, Doc, is people are not paying attention. They're not. I mean, the, they see the number and they see that they're telling you to get this. And there's a fair amount of the population who is lining up for these kinds of things without even understanding any of what you're talking about. And many of them are suffering the risk uh, with the fallout that we report on here of is biggest problem is death uh, in the, the blood clots and micro blood clots and all these things that we surely have been reporting on. Um, another very interesting point here uh, that you say the authors adjusted for risk factors associated with COVID-19 deaths. This is like adjusting for risk factors of dying from cancer in, in a chemotherapy trial. I thought that was pretty well said. Uh, I think that's that. a good, I think that's a really good analogy, Malcolm. Thank you. Uh, the, uh, another analogy would be, um, let's say how successful an arson might be uh, arsonists in a large city over 10 years are going to look retrospectively about the uh, number of uh, dollars of property damage that were done, and you're going to adjust for whether or not they used an accelerant like gasoline, right? So right. What, when you start adjusting for factors that determine the outcome, you have conflated uh, your model, uh, in, and it's absolutely uh, impossible to make a, a reasonable interpretation of it once you do that. So imagine if you uh, looked at the risk of dying from cancer, uh, like you said, but make it even simpler, we're going to adjust for whether or not you were diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, you just, it's hard to wrap your mind around this, where these people are thinking and what they put forth that they want people to, to line up for these uh, injections, I guess. You know, the summary to this whole thing here, you say uh, Dr. Peter Marks and everyone who rubber stamped, and it really is, we can see from everything we're just talking about, it, it is a rubber stamp. Uh, the fourth dose of COVID-19 for people over 50 should resign. Well, yeah, but clearly that's not going to happen. Back to that uh, mission they're on, uh, which uh, it's it's hard to really truly understand what it is. What uh, With all of this that we're talking about with these injections, uh, you know, you've been reporting on this, you've been studying, looking at all these numbers. Uh, you see the the death and the destruction that people have suffered. And all of this is, much of this is not being reported in any media. Um, I mean, this is a real problem uh, at this moment of time. Uh, summar summarize this, if you would, how outrageous all of what we're talking about is and the fact they're now pushing a fourth injection. Quite frankly, if you come back next year, we'll probably be talking about what, an eighth injection at that point? Probably somewhere around there. It might be it might be eight injections in two years time. Um, it seems to be the pace. So it's a three, the um, antibody levels wane after uh, three or four months, but the antibodies are not the final answer on immunity. 
they should be measuring T cells uh, as the ultimate measure of long-term immunity. The vaccines don't give you long-term T cells. That's why you have to be the booster. So what we're looking at here, Malcolm, is uh, a takeover of our government by uh, pharmaceutical companies. These corporations have our, our, has a, have a hold of our regulatory agencies and much of our Senate and Congress, lock, stock, and barrel. Um, you know, the problem of the rotating um, door, the revolving door uh, of people coming in and out of regulatory agencies and working for pharma. Uh, a couple of big examples, uh, former FDA director, Scott Gottlieb, uh, now works for Pfizer. He still does the media circuit. He never reports that he's got a conflict of interest. He, he's just announced as former FDA director. Um, uh, Julie Gerberding left the CDC after making sure that the world thought that the vaccines don't cause autism and got a nice cushy job, high-paid job at Merck. And, and these kinds of examples are allowed simply because we haven't stopped them yet. We have to change legislation and absolutely outlaw the revolving door. We have to put an end to special interests influencing regulatory decisions. Uh, we have to end pharma money going to the CDC through the CDC Foundation. We have to end uh, NIH receiving pharma money through the NIH Foundation. Um, these are uh, obvious examples of payoffs to regulatory agencies for, for good decisions that are in favor of a pharmaceutical product or drug. You know, uh, I cover all of this in my book, Cures Versus Profits, which I wrote in 2015. I can't believe it's already 2022. Right. Um, but the uh, the stories that are there uh, in that are timeless. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, I would, if I if I were uh, a parent, and I am a parent, I have two sons of my own, but they're adults now. Yeah. But if I was a parent with a young child, I would be very active and follow the hashtag parents are watching because the FDA's next move is to consider approving uh, vaccines for very young children. Well, there's the COVID-19 vaccines for very young children and there's no, no need for that whatsoever. Well, we've been seeing that. I mean, the, the ages have been creeping lower and lower and lower and uh, that's been another uh, a feud. Uh, these are a lot of the kinds of stories I'm sure you'll be writing about, you always do, and reporting on. And also, uh, well, this first of all, this, this article I want to tell folks again is on the front page of America Out Loud. No safety data behind US FDA's approval of a fourth injection for COVID-19. You can look up a lot more about uh, Dr. James Lyons-Weiler as well on the platform as we just get going. But I'm really excited to announce to folks right now uh, and welcome you that you will be the host uh, of uh, Friday on uh, our newest gem, which people are hearing about, and we're getting a lot of correspondence on it. People, it ha The show is just going to podcast now, if you've missed the first couple of episodes, America Out Loud Pulse. So, so uh, it's a different host, different doctor every day. Uh, you know, we've been talking about it on the platform, friends. And uh, Dr. James Lyons-Weiler will be the host on Friday uh, of that program. And you'll hear him this next Friday, actually. And looking forward to that. Uh, pretty exciting. And we're thrilled to have you. Uh, thanks for joining us there on this. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure and an honor, Malcolm, and you know, an opportunity for me to share uh, how we can uh, inject science and reason and logic into some of these uh, considerations of the, the madness that has taken over public health and medicine. And uh, I, I deeply appreciate uh, um, you having me on. Thank you. 
I have that special treat for you now I was telling you about here, and I, I think an, an incredible piece of music which captures the pandemic just perfectly. It's called a pandemic at my door. It's a, it's a humble prayer, as he calls it. And uh, the musician on this is Jerry Mayer. Jerry Mayer. And uh, be, before I bring Jerry on, I want to play a little bit of this. You, you've got to hear this. It's, it, I think it's one of the best I've heard on this. Uh, let's give it a listen here for a few seconds, and then we'll talk to Jerry uh, live here in just a moment. Here. When we thought we had seen it all, pandemic began to call. Through the lonely days of captivity And while the world lost reasoning Held hostage by a viral thing The spirit's mind sought a solitude canopy As they reflected, draw near a whole Like leprosy as the story's told And distance between their fellow man As scenes unfold before my eyes Leave me gazing to the skies Comes the answer that only Jesus can And the portrait does appear A small world gripped with fear And things may never be the same If man must run his final race May I be faithful in your place This is my humble prayer in Jesus' name Dear Lord, in the morning when I rise May the dreams that blind my eyes Okay, so you're listening there to Pandemic at My Door. Let's bring on now Jerry uh, Mayor. And Jerry, it is, I'm delighted, absolutely delighted to have you here on Viewpoint uh, this Sunday. And uh, so uh, this tune, I just, you know, when I hear it, and I hear a lot, music has been uh, uh, an inspiration for a lot of people through this uh, episode of the last couple of years. As I understand it, you wrote this in April 2020 when the pandemic was in the, the big throes of all this and we were still trying to understand what was happening. That's, as I understand, when you recorded this song. Tell me a little bit about that inspiration and, uh, and uh, you know, what, what was behind this when you did it. Well, thank you, Malcolm. Um, I think that part and parcel of the inspiration for Pandemic in My Door came from the many years of my working career spent in the uh, public health sector and long-term nursing. And uh, for all those years, you know, we experienced the influenza outbreaks and MRSA and scabies and everything under the sun, you know, short staffing and whatever. I, I saw both sides of the coin because I was in management position for several years at the time. And uh, since my retirement uh, back in April 2020, when I uh, decided to write this song, uh, well, COVID restrictions were uh, limiting us in numbers and locations. Uh, I was also favoring a recent hip surgery. So walking the dog, walking the dog wasn't a uh, daily pastime. But if you can relate uh, to being a captive in your own home and compare it to an elderly ailing person who's not allowed any visitation or from family members in a nursing environment, uh, confined to their own rooms for meals or no activities, uh, no interaction, but uh, not knowing or at times capable of understanding why I'm being treated this way, then uh, you can understand perhaps the deeper intent to the song. Yeah. I tried to capture that feeling when I initially posted an audio visual version to YouTube it's primarily a reflection of my youth and how things have drastically changed at warp speed here right. to what we're dealing with today. 
You say at one point in, in the uh, song here, you, and I love this, this phrase, by the way, you say, a small world gripped with fear and things may never be the same. If man must run his final race, may I be faithful in your place. This is my humble prayer in Jesus' name. That is powerful, huh? The humble prayer um, part of the song and title came from an, an inspiration that nothing tends more to promote health of body and soul than uh, does a, a spirit of praise. Um, it was taken with this in mind from Second Chronicles uh, 7.14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and then turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And COVID has certainly encouraged melancholy, discontented thoughts and feelings and some yeah. very sad and serious results. Yeah. And I just thought, well, this is this is one way that uh, you nailed it. You nailed it. You know, you mentioned the dogs a little bit earlier. You remember they locked up the dog park. I mean, that was everything. I mean, they took the, the, the hoops off the basketball court. You're right. It was a total lockdown. But more than that, it was a lockdown of our minds and our thoughts. Uh, and we were all sort of in some sort of a mind prison almost. Uh, Jerry, you captured it perfectly. Just as we end here on the other side, I want to play more of the, of your music so folks can listen in. And we'll put more about you in the post when this goes to podcast this afternoon. Uh, my brother, I thank you very, very much for touching us in the way that you have, sir. My pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. So that is uh, Jerry Mayer, and uh, he is a very talented musician. It, it, this isn't the first one or probably the last one that he's done, uh, for sure. But it surely spoke to me, I have to tell you. And I, I had to invite Jerry on to share it with you all out there. Uh, you're going to hear that next. In fact, that's what you'll hear as we go out here now on Viewpoint this Sunday. Uh, listen, what a mission. Tremendous thank you to all of our guests on this show. Mark Gregorian for the Center for Immigration Studies up front. Senator Zach Nunn, Ilana Friedman. Uh, wow. And Dr. James Lyons-Weiler and Jerry Miara. Uh, wow. Appreciate everybody's uh, contributions here. Thank you for being on the mission here. It's time to get involved and get loud. Through the years I recall, come winter, spring, or fall. From the farm to the general store Summer days we would be seen In the meadows, field or stream And I never heard the word pandemic before As a child we would read his word It was good news that I heard And as I grew I thirsted for more Life was simple then, it seemed Filled with love and hopes and dreams And I never heard the word And before 